Yeah, I think it was so important to us to be as inclusive as possible in terms of the type of relationships that we were showing. I especially since, you know, I've been monogamous on this podcast for longer than I have been polyamorous, even though polyamory is a really valid choice to me, but I think you use the term ambiamorous, and I think that that's more towards what I would be uh, kind of classifying myself as as well, that depending on the relationship, I could certainly go one way or the other, uh, that it's not necessarily a big identity thing for me, but that more I'm I'm open to exploring the multitude of different ways that relationships are and that they can be. And I'm not afraid of, I think, you know, it necessarily looking one way or the other. And I think that that was really important for us as well in creating this book. Because again, it would be so great if books, especially relationship or self-help books or things that are trying to better the communication that you're having with the most important people in your life, that they do allow for the full spectrum of what relationships can be. Because at this point, they just so many of them just don't. And again, yeah, if you're looking at a book that speaks to only non-monogamous people, that that in a way also is kind of putting all of those potentially great tools only in one sort of group of people as well. And it would be great to offer, I feel like, that to everyone. Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast, your place for real talk and conscious conversations about shit that really matters. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, your resident queerdo, nonconformist, and trauma-informed coach for folks who are tired of the fucking shoulds and are craving something more. Stick around for all things relationship anarchy, coming out later in life, moving through the mess, and beyond. You ready? Here we go. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to episode 155 of the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast. Oh, how are you? How are you doing? How are you hanging in? I uh, I honestly don't want to take up too much of your time before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode because I know so many of you uh, are deeply excited <laughs> about who is to come. Um, the amazing, as you know, folks of the Multi-Amory podcast and now the Multi-Amory book that is coming up. Um, and is available currently for pre-order, which we will be getting into um, bits and pieces of on this episode. But really, um, I am just so stoked to finally have these three on the podcast. Um, I had the privilege and the honor of having Dedeker on, gosh, 20 fucking 19, for those of you who are still around. It was the first episode we ever did on the podcast about non-monogamy, ever. Um, and it was actually before I even came out publicly, uh, and um, it's just been such a gift uh, to be in their sphere as colleagues, as peers, and um, as parasocial friends, right, as you, you do and make with, with these folks. And also really um, to have people on that I have, I have learned so much from and truly um, would not have had <laughs> a, a leg to stand on in many, many, many ways um, in my early days of polyamory, if it hadn't been for their podcast, their resources, and their support. And um, 
I know that this conversation is going to really nourish your hearts and um, I know it did mine. So without further fucking ado, here we go. Hi, hi, hi. I am so stoked to have you guys here. Welcome to the pod, Dedeker, Emily, and Jace. It's so good to have you. Excellent to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me back on. This is so much fun. I know. It's so wild. I was, and it actually speaks so much to what I want to start by saying, which is just like, thank you for, I didn't get a chance to really say this to you when you were on the pod. And I'm, I'm so glad and grateful that actually it's happening in this way. And I know we've had our like Instagram connections, whatever, but when you came on the podcast last Dedeker, I was not out publicly. I remember now. And wow. so, and you you were actually like the, the conversation we had on the podcast was the first conversation I had around non-traditional relationship models, specifically polyamory. And um, I, it was such an odd, I, I remember I was not ready to come out, but I also really wanted to have these kind of conversations, but I'm so accustomed to like really just being in the mess and talking very, very authentically and honestly on my podcast. And I found myself wanting to ask questions or sit with you in different stuff that I just couldn't do out of like my respect to myself and also to my partner at the time who wasn't also ready to be out and me outing myself would have also outed him. And so it's just really, really amazing to have you all here after what has been a wild, wild ride in my own personal life for the last five years of coming out of monogamy, but also just because truly the three of you and like the work you do in this world and the content and the education that you have created for the last almost decade through multi-amory, which is in fucking credible in and of itself that you're still here yeah 200 years in podcasting yeah it's it's a lot like as a for those of you who are not podcasters who listen to this or like don't create content like it's so much fucking work and a lot of it is very thankless work and I just want to say and I'm sure you've heard this a million times but like from someone who has deeply 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 um just like so benefited from the stuff you put into the world and many of time it was like the only anchor in a sea of hurricane chaos that I just didn't know where to go. Like your podcast episodes, the community that you've created, so much of it has just really been such a gift to me in my own journey. And so I'm so grateful to have you here to one, say thank you in front of everybody, but also to have you share your wisdom with my community um, because I know they're going to get so much out of it. So yeah, just thank you. Thank awesome. you so much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of paralyzed with praise now. I don't know what to say to that. That's like, amazing. Oh I'm so glad to hear that. Because, yeah, I remember now that, yeah, I think after we finished the recording was when you told me that, like, this is what's been going on and I'm not out yet. And these are the questions that I have and things like that. Um, so, yeah, five years. I'm so glad to hear that it's just been perfect and amazing since then. So congratulations. Yeah, truly, truly, As it always is. The most Gosh. perfect yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Praise kinks are my thing, so I figure, you know, why not why not start start the podcast? Ooh, I like that. I like yeah, that. It's appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Oh my it's, gosh. it's actually funny how many people, you know, from the press or various places have interviewed us or talked to us, and then kind of after that's done, have then done the so actually part of the reason I want to talk to you is because this is something I'm thinking about or something I just started doing. I can't be public about that yet. So you're not alone in that experience of, I really want to be having these conversations and I'm, I'm not sure yeah. I'm quite there yet. 
So it's definitely, definitely a thing we've run into many times. Yeah. Well, and it's been weird to be on now that I've been making content in this space too. Like it's been weird to be on the receiving end of that too, where people have me on the mm. podcast and have the same questions. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I remember when I was <laughs> a wee young lad. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So funny. Weird full circle stuff. Okay. I, because it's been such a long stead, this, this 10 year like experience with, with the three of you of making content through multi-amory and now with this incredible book that is on pre-order and that you guys are going to be able to get your hands on really soon for those of you listening. Um, I imagine that doing this kind of work has taught you so, so, so much about relationships. I know this firsthand from listening to all your stuff, but I'm just curious, like each of you, what has been the thing that you've really taken away the most that you've then used the most in your own world when it comes to relationships that has just really, I'm not necessarily talking about like a tool, but like just a, something that has changed the the scope or the way you move through the world when it comes to relationships because of the work that you've done. I, yeah, I had one that popped straight to the top of my brain and this is not unique to practicing non-monogamy or non-traditional relationships. This is a pretty much across the board relationship tool I would say the thesis statement is just that like tiny moments are really what make or break relationships repeated tiny moments whether that's tiny moments of forging trust or breaking trust with someone you know or tiny moments of responding to them or ignoring them tiny moments of you know, looking at the phone versus putting the phone down. Like, I think that's been the big thing is like tiny moments are really the things that carry a lot more weight than we realize. Now, like the concept that always comes up for me when I think about this is the concept of of bids, which is something that came out of the Gottman Institute. Like that has really changed the way that I approach relationships. So I always think about when I was in my early 20s, my very first cohabitating long-term monogamous relationship, you know, I would come home from a day of work and my partner would come up to me and want to tell me something that he did that day or want to hug me or kiss me or invite me to watch a show or whatever. And I was just so dialed into, no, I need to do list items one, two, three, four, five, right? Like, no, I, I don't have time for this. Like, sorry, I need to take care of this thing, right? I need to hop into this thing straight away. And again, that's another tiny moment of rejecting my partner's bid for attention or affection, right? And just realizing, no, it's worth it for me to fucking cool my jets for two seconds to hug my partner or to listen to the story about their day or listen to this thing they heard on a podcast, right? You know, it it doesn't really take that much time, but it carries a huge impact in relationships. So for me, I think it would be that of like paying attention to those really small interactions. I think for me, the way in which I view conflict in my relationships has changed drastically. Because I think initially, as I was in my early 20s and sort of first discovering non-monogamy and first discovering just myself as a being in relationship with another person, uh, or multiple people, it, I I tended to immediately get on the defensive. And that's still something that I struggle with. And I think a lot of people struggle with. 
but learning all of the things that we talk about on the podcast on a weekly basis, it really has made me want to stop and listen before having an outward emotional reaction to something that my partner is saying happened or that they're upset about or that we need to be working on or that I need to be thinking about. And I think that just moment of, of holding on for a minute and, and saying to myself, what is it that I'm hearing? Is this valid? Is this something that I think is a reality is something that maybe, yeah, I really need to look at before having an outward dismissive or, you know, condescending or anything of any of the above emotional reaction to what my partner's saying, just that ability to kind of look inward and listen is something that I think we really all maybe at times struggle with and some people more than others, but that's something that I've tried to get much better at over the many, many years that we've been discussing relationships. I guess for me, I would say it's the, just the concept of talking more clearly and explicitly about relationships. Uh, I think that's kind of honestly not even a tool in our book, but a central theme through the whole thing is this meta communication is I'm communicating about the way I'm communicating. I'm talking about what I want in this relationship in a in a more clear explicit way instead of hoping it's all implied or thinking that you'll assume the same things that I'll assume and i think that's something that within the world of non-monogamy is a lot more prevalent i think because you're kind of throwing out some of the rules for how relationships normally go and so you have to have these more specific conversations about what does our relationship look like what do we want out of it what are we okay with but it's something that i think is super powerful and important in, you know, even in monogamous relationships or even friendships or family relationships of just that kind of willingness to be a little bit vulnerable to say, this is what I really like in this relationship. This is what I want. And, you know, maybe you're not saying it in quite those formal of words. You can communicate more naturally. But I think a joke that we've made for a long time is, you know, the secret to the three of our relationships with each other is just to do a relationship podcast every week for. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I think that the maybe the more realistic, practical version of that is the talking about relationships with the people you're in relationships with, mm-hmm. rather than what I think a lot of us were trained to do is we talk about relationships with everybody but the people we're having the relationship with, mm-hmm. and so kind of flipping that around, I, I would say, is the biggest thing I've learned from this. Yeah. And I think like such an interesting central theme to everything y'all shared, which I identify with all of the things you talk about, you talked about, but was, is that like being really thoughtful and going into relationships with intent instead of operating on this automatic pilot space, which I think we as human beings tend to do in so many things in our lives, because it can be really hard when we have so much thrown at us to be thoughtful, right? Um, and so sometimes the last thing we can think of is like a tool, right, <laughs> to support or right. like, how, right? And so having something like what you guys created through your book, which have been tools that you've shared for so, so, so many years that are truly just un, unparalleled when it comes to communication stuff, like is is going to be so helpful to so, so, so many people who are, whether they are in non-monogamous relationships or monogamous ones, you know, because 
relationships are relationships, you know, at the end of the day. Um, And as someone who's been in like multiple long-term relationships, but especially one that was very central for my life for 11 years, um, I know firsthand how hard it can be to not get on automatic pilot. You have to really work at it. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm curious because I feel like I've experienced this uh, through like people, even in my, my like inner circle life, but even just like, I'm seeing it more and more. Have you all noticed a like deep shift in terms of the numbers of folks who are actually in and in non-monogamous relationships and seeking non-monogamous relationships in the last few years? Because I know you're so inundated in that space because of the work you do, but like, I'm over here being like, in 2018, I did not know the term polyamory existed. And I understand that like some people did at that time. I was not one of them. I knew open relationships existed, but there were like so few resources. And now, which is so great, resources are coming, you know, more and more and more in this space. But I'm like, why do you think that there are more people who are seeking non-traditional relationship models um do you think those folks always existed and just were like living underground or you know like (laughs) I'm over here being like I don't know what's happening but I'm just glad it is you know (laughs) well sort of a yes and no this could be a whole two-hour TED talk I think as far as the people existing but living underground I mean if we think about I don't know all this it's much of this getting started with community on bulletin board systems in the early 90s on the you know, the proto internet, like maybe that's the equivalent (laughs) of underground. And then before that, if we're looking at historical, you know, swinging movements that start on army bases or near army bases in like the fifties and sixties and things like that. So, and of course, a long, long, long story history of different forms of non-monogamy in different cultures. So yes, in the sense that sure, there's always been people who want to live this way, want to do relationship in this way, but I do think that what's new to me anyway, watching this all unfold over the past decade or so is I I do think there is this resurgence of more and more people being willing to just be open, right? And like publicly identify. And I do think that social media is both a blessing and a curse in that way. And maybe the blessing part of it being that it's so much easier to tie to your online performance of self you know, just slap it in your bio. Yeah, I'm ethically non-monogamous or I'm polyamorous or whatever, right? If people are, of course, are like in a position to openly identify as so, but it means that we get much more visibility, you know? And so that empowers more people to either think about it or be like, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Or that's something that I resonate with, right? You know, I think back to, you know, like, 12, 13, 14, 15, I don't even know at this point, however many years ago when I was first starting to research this stuff. And like the best thing I had was a dusty live journal in some corner of the internet, but it was still something. It was still like, wow, these are real people living out real lives where they're navigating, you know, multi-partner relationships and everyone's actually happy and consenting. And, you know, that helped me. Right. And so I think that then social media comes along and then it's can be like that times five million right yeah it's an interesting time in our world because you know we have all of this visibility in so many different ways and yet i think the lgbt community the trans community like there's so many different alternative perhaps lifestyles that are really under attack in a very visible way right now 
And it's fascinating to think that this is also the time where people are saying, no, fuck you. I am going to live my authentic life and I am going to be the truest version of myself. And that also includes whatever relationship style I feel is best for me. And I think for a lot of people, they're finding that this way of life, that really getting to pick and choose what it is that you want in your relationships, that it can look whatever way you want it to look and and not just going off of this monogamous viewpoint of, well, that's how everybody else does it. And so I have to do that as well. I think it's powerful. And yeah, I mean, what Dedeker said about social media, there's so many different people also out there who are trying, I think, and hopefully we're, we're some of them that are trying to show this is a, a way that people can live their life and be successful. And we didn't have that for so long. And I, I do feel like people are getting more courageous in being out simply because they're seeing others who are doing the same as well. Mm. Yeah, I think that so when you can see other people doing something, it makes it more okay for you to do it. And again, for good and bad, right? The internet has allowed us to connect to people who agree with us on stuff that maybe the rest of our peer group in our in our in-person life doesn't. And so if you think about something like, um, you know, okay, I, I feel these weird feelings toward, you know, people of the same sex as me, but I live in a town where no one's ever talked about that. I didn't even know that's a thing that someone could do. And then the internet comes along and I see, oh, oh, this is a thing lots of people do. Oh, that's who I am. That's great. All right. Okay, great. I'm going to do this now. And I think that for non-monogamy, for a lot of us, like, for myself, it was this thing of, I had, I kind of danced around it for a long time of feeling like, yeah, this, this makes sense. There's this thing of, I don't want to be so possessive of my partner. Maybe I just, I have a relationship where it's okay for us to flirt with other people. And then eventually when I found polyamory and just learned, oh, this is a thing people do do a do for a long time. It's not just a little temporary, casual, non-serious thing. It was like that oh, now that I know this is a thing, I'm going to do this, mm. right? And I've, I've tweaked it and adjusted it over time, but I think that's a big part of it is just increasing the amount of visibility so that people can find it and go, this makes sense to me or this is something I want to explore. I've had some feelings like this, but I never knew you could do it ethically. I always just thought maybe that meant I'm a bad person who you know, can't commit to people or doesn't, isn't possessive enough of my partners or any yeah, number yeah. of other things we might think about ourselves. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Cause we've been, you know, so programmed to see non-monogamy in the world of affairs for so long. And like, that's what yeah. the media has presented it as this bad, terrible mm-hmm. thing instead of like or, everyone or casual is dating or something. Right. Which is like not committed, not real, not mm-hmm. actually valuable, all that bullshit. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's been very interesting for me personally, because I have landed in the last year um, very much, and we've talked about this a little bit like behind the scenes, but I very much landed in the last year uh, identifying if I were to put an identity marker on my relationship style, which like, but if I were to, it would be like ambiamorous with definitely, like I've been a relationship anarchist my whole life. I just didn't know that that was a thing that existed. Um, And what I've seen with my clients and with so many people that like, 
in the world is I think COVID as fucking terrible as quarantine was um, in so many ways. I think it did force us to like look inward on these systems that have been so present in our life for so long and specifically like toxic monogamous culture or compulsory monogamy when it comes to like why is this a thing right and I think the visibility arc of that coming and in tandem with quarantine to me has been sort of this like catapult for people to really start questioning like why <laughs> why do I operate this way right and like getting curious about these things and I think a lot of people come to polyamory from a space of like deep curiosity and like this is going to be the thing that saves the relationship thing right which I think mm-hmm. is really beautiful and also can be really problematic and 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 not always ideal when like there are there isn't a blueprint Right. And, and as you guys talked about earlier on, like we, we have a blueprint for toxic monogamous culture. We have a blueprint for the relationship escalator and the nuclear family, but we don't have like a true stamped (laughs) like blueprint for non-monogamy. And, and, and I'm curious, was that a part of why writing this book was important to y'all and like creating doing the work that you do because I know for me I feel very protective (laughs) over the folks who are because I see myself in them like the folks who are just trying to figure this out and know for sure that the toxic monogamous culture that didn't work but they don't then know where they land right in the is it polyamory is it monogamy that is relationship anarchist is it ambiamorous is it swinging is it an open relationship you know like it can be really tough to like sift through the sea of stuff um but when there are our resources like the book which i just like i read through so, I, so fast and i was like this yep this is yep this is amazing you know like all of the things that y'all talk about like at least there's some blueprint there for what is what is possible and how to be able to like build something in a non-traditional way was that a part of the writing process and why you were like fuck it we got to write this book like where did that really start and like how do y'all feel about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll actually take that back even a little farther to when yeah. we first started the podcast, that um, we started the podcast to be about polyamory specifically, right, to be about non-monogamy. And because it was something that was still relatively new to all of us, you know, maybe a couple years of experience at that point, um, and something that wasn't getting talked about very much, right, because this was, you know, eight or nine years ago, or whenever that was. And so it started off being very focused on that and it kind of moved to being more specifically kind of relationship advice focused. And then what we started realizing is just that, that the advice wasn't really that different for any type of relationship. And like, it was different in that it acknowledged the fact that you might have other partners or that you might need to speak more explicitly about how your relationship's going to look. Uh, but it wasn't like the communication itself was that different or like the way you love people is actually any different. Yeah. And so the podcast gradually shifted toward being more about relationships in general, but one where things like non-monogamy or maybe asexual relationships or, you know, anything that's outside of that normal mainstream model we all are familiar with 
rather than treating those as the afterthought, like a lot of the research does where it's like, oh yeah. And I don't know, maybe it applies in this other area. I don't know. It's kind of, this, or yeah, I guess you could apply it in other things that we, I don't want to say flip that around exactly, but keep those types of relationships as part of the conversation the whole time. And so then our book was that was saying, okay, let's look at the tools that we have and the things that have helped people. How can we put that in a book form for people in any kind of relationship? But let's have the examples and the stories and the situations we talk about not all have to look like the normal, typical thing and then say, oh, and also you could do it with multiple partners. But instead, it's like, mm -hmm. this is front and center. This is part of the landscape of how people do relationships now. Mm -hmm. And so let's just include that in the story rather than than you know having to make it be this special other thing that's only for these other kind of people or that's only for quote normal people and everything mm. else is an afterthought it's like how can we bridge that gap so that we're not just isolated into our little bubbles of separate advice and separate cultures yeah i love that yeah i think it was so important to us to be as inclusive as possible in terms of the type of relationships that we were showing I, especially since, you know, I've been monogamous on this podcast for longer than I have been polyamorous, even though polyamory is a really valid choice to me. But I think you use the term ambiamorous, and I think that that's more towards what I would be uh, kind of classifying myself as as well. But depending on the relationship, I could certainly go one way or the other. Uh, that it's not necessarily a big identity thing for me, but that more I'm I'm open to exploring the multitude of different ways that relationships are and that they can be. And I'm not afraid of, I think, it, you know, it necessarily looking one way or the other. And I think that that was really important for us as well in creating this book, because again, it would be so great if books especially relationship or self-help books or things that are trying to better the communication that you're having with the most important people in your life, that they do allow for the full spectrum of what relationships can be. Because at this point, they just, so many of them just don't. Yeah. And mm -hmm. again, yeah, if you're looking at a book that speaks to only non-monogamous people, that that in a way also is kind of putting all of those potentially great tools only in one sort of group of people as well. And it would be great to offer, I feel like, that to everyone. Well, and I think what you all do so beautifully and that I appreciate so much is that it is fully all-encompassing and it is outside of the like heteronormative, what tends to be kind of rooted in purity culture yeah. support because so so many communication tools or even relationship uh, models or even sometimes therapeutic models are really rooted in like, in my experience, very like segregated and small, like they're just the, the scope is not big enough. And as someone who is queer and is, I was not raised in a religion, but I'm technically Jewish because YOLO, we had a lot of trauma, but like, mm. you know, that's like, that's my experience in the world. And I'm also not from this this country. I don't live in the States. So like I grew up as an immigrant family in Canada, you know, so it's just like being here and seeing, and then being an adult in this country and seeing the like relationship models and also the expectations and even what monogamy means to Americans versus like what I grew up 
knowing mm. monogamy to me and I was like wait like this is so weird and backwards <laughs> and 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 very like stiff you know um and so it's been re- it was so lovely to just see all of the work that you've done in that space to like unpack those things for so long so beautifully yeah just like shared in your book um which is something that people can get their hands on so easily right like that's what I love about about a book and what I think like, you know, as a fellow writer, like, it's just, it's such a labor of, of death sometimes, but like, also, (laughs) also like, you know, that like someone desperately needs this and they're going to then have that resource and they're going to hopefully highlight the shit out of it. At least that's what I do with my books, you know, and, uh, and be able to come back to it um, for support. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. And part of something that we wrote into the book is like at the very end, we have this whole chapter that we call just the extra tools Mm -hmm. chapter. And it's a bunch of tools or concepts that aren't original to us, you know, stuff from guest experts that we've had on the show or other researchers or other books. The idea being that I don't know. I think you talked about how we we go through so many relationships, not very intentionally and not having a lot of tools. The idea that it's like, if you're in the moment, if you're in the middle of a fight with someone you love and you're like super activated and both of you are just working each other up that like, if you have just something to grab onto, if you just flip through that extra tools chapter in the back and find something that helps knock you out of whatever tizzy you're in, in the moment. And I'm like, great that's that's all I care about right because I I do think that relationship tools should be something that we can all access that isn't necessarily something that has to be meted out by like a couple's therapist you know I think that work is super valuable obviously it's work that I do with clients you know and I think that I it would be great if we had a reality where that was like accessible and affordable to everybody but it's not and even if it is like I I don't think that that's something that we should just be relying on that it's like we have to turn to an expert to get in here and fix things like so I think that's part of why we structured the book the, the way that we did and it's also part of why we've developed some of our tools the way that we do I mean we always throw ourselves under the bus talking about the multi-emory treatment of just like take something and make it into an acronym. (laughs) And, you know, we've done that with 600 different things, but it's all in service of, you know, you're not in your therapist's office. You're not sitting there calmly listening to the podcast. You're not sitting there calmly flipping through the book with your partner. Like you're in the middle of it. And if you can remember, you know, halt or whatever to remember to take a pause, like that's, I don't know, that's where the juice is for me is just, anything, even no matter how small it is, making it something that someone can literally physically or emotionally, mentally, like make tangible to themselves in the moment, I think is key. Okay. So going off that and for all of you listening who are like, okay, I need to get my hands on this. Obviously. Yes. The book will be in the show notes for all of you. Um, or you can just go to multiamory.com forward slash book to get a pre-order um, or actually order it if you're listening to this after, I think it's the 23rd of May it releases, yep, right? Perfect. Ooh, I, got it. Ooh, I did my research. I love it. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm just curious um, because I know I've used a numerous of these tools in, in my previous relationship um, and some of my other relationships as well, although none of them were long enough to really use them in, in succession. But I'm curious, like within your own life, what is the tool in your book that you use the most? Oh my Such goodness. Such a hard how, how to pick. <laughs> I think for me, the Triforce of Communication for sure. I it's yeah, and that for everybody out there, we're all Zelda nerds. 
hashtag <laughs> Breath of the Wild and uh-huh. Tears of the Kingdom coming out soon. But yeah, we um, created that tool pretty early on. And it's sort of a, a kind of play on something that Kathy Labriola talked about in her books as well. And it, essentially, it's just a really easy way to tell your partner exactly what you need out of a conversation. So sometimes you simply just want to get something off of your chest, just want to put it out there into the world. You don't need anything from them. You're just saying, okay, I want to tell you this thing. This is why, you know, I might be acting a little weird right now. I have X going on in my job or whatever. That's Triforce number one. Triforce number two is I had a really tough day at work. I want to come home and talk to you about it. I don't need you to help me with it. I just want love and support and cuddles and care. That's it. That's Triforce number two. And then number three, which I think so many of us jump immediately to because we want to help our partners. We want to, you know, fix a problem. But it is that which is, you know, I, I have this thing. I need help with it. Can we brainstorm here? Can we talk about ways that that maybe I can make this situation better in my life. And that's Triforce number three. And it's really great because you can use it on yourself. You can come into a conversation and say, hey, I I need Triforce one right now, or I need Triforce two right now. Or they don't even need to know what you're talking about. And you can just say, all I'm looking for right now is love and support and care. So you can use it in so many different ways. And And I use it all the time. I think it's extremely important especially in those relationships where you find that a partner is automatically jumping to that i i want to just help you and i want to tell you what to do and that's not really what you're looking for in the moment yeah i would agree that as far as using most often the triforce definitely because it it just so easily comes up in different conversations or maybe i'll ask something of dedeker and she'll say uh okay, wait, before I answer, what Triforce are you looking for here? <laughs> yeah. Do you want my advice? Or do you just want me to say, yeah, wow, that sucks. Or awesome, that's great. And it just, it saves a lot of that going back and forth, getting frustrated with not getting what you want out of a conversation or feeling like both of you are trying to help each other, but it's not working. Like what's wrong here? It fixes so many of those things. And it's so easy to just use throughout the day. So I think that's the one that's definitely the most commonly used. But the other one I would mention that I feel like has been really significant in my life is radar. And that's the kind of the monthly check-in structure for a relationship. And, you know, sometimes we don't always do ours every month. Sometimes a couple months can go by, but I mean, Dedeker and I've been doing that for, I don't even know, like seven years now or something. Years, years and years. Yeah. Long time. Long time. And for me, that one is... (laughs) maybe if you're looking at like total number of hours spent on a tool, maybe that one would surpass the Triforce because that's, you (laughs) know, you have a few number of, you know, few hours you spend doing it each month when you check in, but just having that structure in place and having a place to talk about those things has saved, has, has saved me from so much of the stress of figuring out like, when do I bring up this thing I need to talk about or has often just avoided a fight entirely where maybe I'm upset about something. I say, okay, well, all right, I see we have a radar coming up in two weeks. I'll just wait and talk about it then. Maybe I'll make a note to myself. And often once that two weeks goes by, rather than being something I'm really upset about, it's like, okay, hey, you know, I can talk about this in a more reasonable way. 
this, this would be great. This would help me. Or, you know, I, I realized what I did wrong in that time. It kind of gives you like knowing you have that check-in coming just takes away some of the urgency to have every, you know, conflict or heavy discussion right then. And then also allows you to have fun conversations about like, where do we want to travel? What kind of different sex do we want to try? You know, what, whatever it is, it also gives you those fun things too. So every relationship talk doesn't have to be, oh, because we're having a fight and we're upset. Like it also yeah. gives you the good stuff of talking in your relationship too. So I think that one's been a pretty big game changer for me. Hmm. I would say for me, in addition to those two Probably what gets used on a near daily basis is our microscripts tool. And mm, yeah. the easiest way to describe microscripts is basically it's just kind of harnessing the power of what the researchers call idiosyncratic language to help your relationship communication. In other words, using in jokes and memes <laughs> to help, uh, <laughs> you know, short circuit some set in negative communication patterns. Right. And so you know, it'll be an experience where like with one of my partners, if we keep kind of falling into the same kind of bickering pattern around a particular topic, or we keep kind of misunderstanding each other, or we've identified there's some sort of negative pattern going on, finding a way to empower ourselves, just come up with like a very small, short script to follow, to just kind of get us through that moment and onto the other side of it as a shorthand. So Sometimes this can be really silly. Sometimes it can be really playful, but it can also help with really serious things. So actually around the time that we did our first interview, Amanda, back in 2018, at that time, I was going some, through some like really intensive somatic therapy for some PTSD and, you know, not an easy process. And there'd be a lot of spillover into my day-to-day -day life. And that's hard, not only for the person experiencing PTSD, but for the loved ones around them, right? Of like, how do we deal with this? And how do we have a conversation? And like, if you're feeling symptoms or feeling a particular type of way, how do we get through this? And so around that time, Jason, I came up with this really short little microscript where basically when I was feeling some symptoms come up or feeling something getting activated or something triggered, if it was still kind of low key and low level, I would just tell him, Hey, I'm, I feel like a puffer fish right now because that was the closest that I got. Right. Cause I didn't want to sit down and talk about these are the memories that, is, that are coming up. I don't want to graphically describe what's happening in my body to you. You know, I was just like, I'm a puffer fish right now. And then his part of the microscript was to say, okay, should I put on the fish gloves or should I give you some space? Right. And then I could be like either, okay, give me some space or put on the fish gloves, which to me, you know, which to us meant, you know, proceed with caution, just be gentle. Right. And I think that got us through so many little bumps in the road on a day-to-day -day basis that really helped to smooth things out. It helped me to feel cared for without having to sit down and let's have an hour-long conversation about what's going on for me right now. So that's just one example. I mean, obviously, microscopes are very customizable and they can come up in a number of different situations, but... I mean, I don't know. It's the kind of thing where, I mean, we've had particular microscripts that have been there for years. And it's something that I also love developing with new partners as well. But this is part of your unique language in the relationship. It doesn't just have to be about your silly in-jokes. It can be about how do we get through these moments of tension or conflict or just those kind of difficult little bumps in the road mm -hmm. together. I really appreciate you sharing that story. Um, 
Yeah, it's like so interesting how topical that is to like my own experiences right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's um, something that I haven't really talked about publicly very much, but like having a script, I had, it's just like I hadn't even contemplated that because when you're in PTSD responses and working with somatics, like you're so in your you're in your body that the idea of like accessing your brain can be really challenging. But when you're in a safe space to do it, like I'm thinking about totally implementing this like in a way that is and I that I hadn't even contemplated before so I just really appreciate you sharing that particular example in a very <laughs> selfish way in this moment so thank no, you right. I, yeah. I love that because um I don't know like if we're gonna dive into PTSD specifically so so the research on this one is like maybe a little bit iffy so I can't say that this is empirical but there are theories that when we're having a survival response which is often what's happening when you're having a ptsd trigger when you're having an intense survival response so like one of the first areas of your brain to kind of go dormant or shut down is the area of your brain that converts your thoughts into Mm -hmm. speech right and so that's why it can be so difficult to express what's actually going on right so it can be hard you know if your partner's just like what do you need oh my god how can i help and you're just like uh, the answer uh, is i don't know you know (laughs) exactly exactly i don't know it's too much i'm not sure you know, but probably what you're going to do is wrong. Right. And so finding a time to kind of create just a script for both of you as something to hold on to can be so, so key. Again, this is not just for these sort of situations, but I found for me in particular, going through that part of my own healing journey, it was so, mm, so helpful. Yeah. Somatic support. We love it. Ah, mm-hmm. I could nerd out about that forever. Um, but, but I won't because otherwise we'll be here forever. Um, mm-hmm. I also just in that vein, want to reflect to all three of you how grateful I am at the amount of times that you bring up throughout the book. And as you're using, I mean, the whole like, don't weaponize this shit is obviously like a multi-amory thing, but like the fact that you get into it from a standpoint of like, there are many relationships that are toxic, abusive, all of these things where these tools can be, and in my experience have been used as like another way to deepen that abuse um, or the toxicity um, or use it in a course of manipulative ways. And obviously like y'all don't have any like way of being able to support that or change that. But I think the amount of times that you do say throughout the book, like, please think about what you're receiving and like, do your best. It's very hard when you've like, when you're in it um, to see it for what it is. But I just think it's so, so, so important and vital that any communication tools that are shared that do have to do with relationships have that massive, massive caveat. Um, And so just thank you for the care (laughs) that you put Mm. in that space um, because it really just like, honestly, I could have talked to you guys about this for a whole hour. I was like, do I just... talk about but because I I mean it's I don't know if have y'all experienced that in your own life where it's like communication tools whether they're yours or someone else's have been brought in as this like almost like manipulative ploy to then keep you there like I once had a radar that was seven hours long you know oh, and like gosh. could have Damn. never been the case but because I had committed to this thing that I was excited about and felt like was going to be so supportive I then felt stuck in the process of it. Right. And so it's like, gosh, these tools are so incredible and so beautiful, but in the hands of certain folks, they, they won't be right. And so 
yeah. Have you experienced that in your own world or I don't know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And again, it's like, we can literally extrapolate the tools metaphor that any tool in a toolbox can be used to a weapon. build a yeah. house or it can be used to smash somebody else's thumb, right? Or you can think that you're building a house because this is the tool that worked last time, but it's not the tool that's actually appropriate for this job, right? So yeah, and I think that that's something... So, I mean, yeah, you said one of our monikers is like, don't weaponize this shit. I think we didn't really start saying that until a few years in on the podcast, because I think that's when we started seeing people um, using some of these tools in weird ways, not just our tools, but other tools like NBC, you know, really being used to bludgeon people emotionally or mentally or whatever. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, it's like if you're going to use a communication tool, both or all people involved need to want to use it and want to at least try it. There has to be a willingness to, if this really doesn't work for somebody, can we adjust it or can we try something else entirely? You know, again, the whole point of this is like, if you're forcing somebody to use a tool, you've kind of missed the point of the communication tool. Yeah, I I believe it was in the New York Times or the Atlantic or something. There was a very recent article regarding going to therapy and couples therapy specifically and that often that can be used in really toxic manners as well and i know dedeker you've talked about that a lot as being a thing that can potentially kind of motivate a, a partner to sort of just do things very nicely but still really toxically to you with all of the tools that they learn from going to therapy and that just is sort of the name of the game with the potential is there with all of this which sucks and it's shitty because we we certainly don't set out to do that when we're creating these and and all of that but that that is very much there and i think ideally you empower yourself also in learning these things to hopefully know the difference between the two and that's challenging in a lot of ways but I hope that, you know, we all know in the back of our minds, like, don't weaponize this shit. And therefore, when we see it being weaponized against us, then that's a huge red flag. The one piece I'd want to add to this is, so don't weaponize this shit is one of our things we say a lot. And another one of the things we say a lot is it's okay to break up. Yeah. And I think that's an important piece here too, right? Because with with tools, like one is maybe just this isn't, a great relationship. Maybe you're just not very compatible with each other in terms of your fundamental beliefs or what you want in life, whatever. And any number of communication tools might help make there be less conflict, but ultimately you're just kind of prolonging something that's not really fulfilling to either of you. I mean, the classic example of this is you have a relationship where one person really identifies as polyamorous or non-monogamous or relationship anarchist. And the other person is like, no, monogamy is the thing for me. I, we see a lot of people push those relationships to try to last as long as they possibly can, where both people are really just hoping the other one comes around to their way of thinking. Uh, you know, this works with other things like wanting to have kids or not is another one, or even just wanting to get married or not is something where people will stay in a relationship, just kind of burying their head in the sand and saying, Oh, eventually they'll change their mind. And both people are doing that. And then you end up in this situation where you've spent a lot of time 
being unsatisfied and unhappy and not because either of you are bad people. And I guess that's the piece I wanted to get to is that not all of this has to be, oh, this tool was weaponized because I was with a bad person. Uh, but it could have also just be, we just weren't compatible. Or maybe we're both trying to use the tools in a way that makes sense to us. And that's just too different from each other. And so it's also okay to break up. Like your partner doesn't have to be an abusive asshole for this to not be a good relationship. I mean, if that's the case, definitely it's not a good relationship, but also they (laughs) could be perfectly fine. Let them go be perfectly fine for somebody else if it's not a good fit for you. The myriad of not relationships working out is massive. I also, I'm like thinking about this, like for like, I can relate to this, like being in duress in relationship or in something in my life and immediately being like, I need a book, you know, like that's usually (laughs) the thing. And I'm, I know a lot of other people do this. And I'm just thinking about like, if I had been where I was and I had picked up your book and then like gone through these tools, but then also had the like, Hey, like these are not, you know, cause I just feel like so often that's not there. Like I, it would have planted a seed. And that seed is something I think more people need than than there is. Mm. And also it would have given me the space to try things out, right? And be like, is this going to work? And then learn, oh, maybe this is not actually supportive because I've like done everything I can, you know, to try to make this, this supportive. Right. So whatever you're coming into like this, reading this book from whether you are in a very healthy relationship and are just trying to like, you know, bolster your toolkit or are in a relationship that feels like it's in deep duress and maybe it's because of a lack of compatibility or maybe there is some toxic shit, um, abusive shit, whatever that is, like you're going to get something out of this book, out of this process, whether that's for yourself or for your relationship. Um, And so, yeah, I'm really, I'm just really stoked to, for everyone listening to get their hands on it. And um, just so appreciate you guys doing the shit to like get it into the world because (laughs) it's a lot. (laughs) Thank you. And this also, I don't know, man, like I I really go back and forth after spending weeks for almost a decade now talking about relationships, thinking about relationships, helping other people with their relationships, reading relationship research. Like there's some days where it feels like relationships so easy. We just connect. That's all we want. We just want love and like, that's all it is. And then other days where I'm like, how does anybody do this? (laughs) I'm not even talking about the complicated stuff like non-monogamy, just like, how does anybody do this? So I don't know. It's just... Um, we're all, we're all here just like trying to get love and like holding on to this extremely delicate thing, you know, of like somebody else's heart or multiple somebody else's hearts and like giving our hearts to them, you know? And so I I think, I don't know. I, I think that anything that we got, any tool we got, any way we can be more intentional, any way we can kind of get some more support in that is just so important. Mm -hmm. Because no one teaches us how to do any of this shit. That's the frustrating thing is yeah. like, yeah. we learn how to play hot cross buns <laughs> on, on a freaking recorder, <laughs> but no one taught me like what abuse might look like in a relationship or how to like write a check or whatever, or how to pick a health plan. Yeah, any of the actual useful right. things, right? Even, like, it's like we're just all say the thing that you want to say, but are scared yeah. to say it because you're feeling vulnerable. Yeah. Yes. Like it's like, Yes, we are not taught all this shit. So thank you for contributing mm-hmm. to the magic that is being a messy human and um, and for being yourselves in that process because, I don't know, that has been the thing, at least that has kept me around with all of you and has like felt so wildly relatable and I know so many other people can identify. Um, so yeah, before we officially hop off because I know we're, we're hitting time, um, 
can you just let everyone know like where exactly I know I've mentioned a couple of times but where can they get the book where can they get more you know into your sphere as individuals as you know a podcast whatever you want to share let us know well, multiamory.com slash book is where you can either order or pre-order the book, depending on when you're listening to this. Again, it comes out May 23rd, which we're so excited about. I We started the process in 2019, and, and now here we are. Yeah, it was a whole pandemic, so it was a lot. <laughs> but additionally, you can find us on Multiamory on Facebook, on Twitter, and then Multiamory underscore podcast on Instagram. So yeah. Something else I'd throw out there, depending when the listeners are hearing this, we've got a couple in-person events that we're doing oh, for yeah. the book release too. One oh, yeah, in Seattle, one in Seattle the day after the release on May 24th. And then one a week after that on May 30th, 30th in Los Angeles. So if you're in either of those cities, again, all that information is at multiamory.com slash book. Yay. So cool. Okay. Before we, before we hop off, I always do this with, with like new folks and I know technically Dedeker has been on, but because all of y'all have it, <laughs> um, the, the question I always ask everyone before they leave is what does it mean to you to live your fuck yes life? And I mean this truly just from like a, your soul, like your heart, like when you think about your fuck yes life and living that way, what does it mean to you? Sorry, I got to think about yeah. this one for a second. <laughs> I love it. I love that this is the thinker. <laughs> You're like, I'm in relationship world my whole life, but then I have to think about me for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if possible, less consumerism and more contribution. I like the idea mm. of of giving back because so many of us, I think, live our lives in mode of take and it's important to be able to give back to the world in some way. And I think that this is the way that the three of us do. And that feels really good. And I hope we continue to do it for a very long time. I think for me, it's about, ironically, my fuck yes life is maybe part of a being able to say no life mm -hmm. uh, that that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a challenge for me. I always tend to, to overcommit myself and, and then end up where I don't have the time to do some of the things that really bring me joy or that I want to do, you know, with someone else or to connect to somebody else. And so I think that I don't want to say it's just about saying no, but more about being able to really embrace the things that do matter to me uh, and not just kind of feel like I'm going from obligation to obligation. I think that's, that's the fuck yes life for me that I'm always striving toward. For me, I, for some reason, like honesty and authenticity is the first thing that comes to mind, you know, for the three of us in the early days of the podcast, it was a big decision point when we were trying to figure out, do we, do we operate under pseudonyms? Or do we give our real names attached to this? And we decided to, no, we're going to give our real names. There's, I don't know, for me, I think there's something about just being able to be myself in as many spheres of life as possible. I know it's never going to be perfect. Like, you know, the way that I show up at my job is always going to be a little bit different from how I show up with a partner is always going to be a little bit different from how I show up with my family. But I feel like the more I can bring those things into congruency, where the values that I profess, the way that I identify 
the, that those don't have to change between spheres necessarily. And so that goes outside of relationships, but relationships is a big part of that for me, of being able to be out and just honest about what's going on in my life and how I relate to people. Like, I feel like that's a key part of being able to live a fuck yes life and a fuck less life <laughs> at the same time. What you will always think the podcast is called forever. Uh, and always. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. um, thank you all uh-huh. so much for being here, for sharing your hearts. And, um, and as a reminder, you guys get your, get, get your hands on the book, like just do it. Um, yeah. I really appreciate you all. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having us. And there you have it. Thank you, Emily, Jace, and Dedeker for coming on the podcast and for sharing your hearts and all things multi-amory with my community, all of my fuck yes lifers. It really means the absolute world to have you here. Um, And I know that every single person listening, whether they are in a non-monogamous relationship or a monogamous one, uh, took something from this. Uh, So thank you. Thank you. Just fucking thank you. for all the things we talked about in the podcast, as always, you can find them in the show notes. Uh, if you just scroll down in whatever app you're listening to this to, um, you can see that there. Or if you are a super nerd and love to get on the website end of things, you can always go to amandacathemoy.com and there's the podcast tab and all of the stuff is there for you. Also, in my excitement around this <laughs> magic and this episode, um, I forgot to mention in the intro and remind you all that the fucking queer merch is still um, rocking that 15% off code. So use uh, the code QUEERDO, Q-U-E-E-R-D-O in all capitals, um, to get 15% off and all of the funds um, from now and from the beginning of when I started this um, until the end of June, the end of Pride Month, is going to be going to the Brave Space Alliance, which is an incredible Black-owned, trans-led organization in Chicago um, that does a lot of community support and um, that you all voted on. So reminder um, to snag your goods there and also snag all of the multi-amory goods, pre-order the book, um, get it while it's hot, um, and all of that good stuff. Um, And if you're not already following multi-amory and you just happen to have gotten in their sphere um, through this episode, um, please be sure to follow their stuff, their podcast. Um, if it, you know, uh, excites you, uh, you know, just get in their sphere. They're truly incredible folks. And as you just saw, and um, I've learned so much from them and uh, and know you will too. So yeah, that's the, that's the stuff. That's the magic from this week. Uh, and as always, if you loved the episode, and if it feels in your uh, aligned space to uh, let us know, uh, leaving a review uh, or uh, a rating on any of the of the things really helps get the podcast in front of more more folks. Um, and if you have a couple extra dollars to throw my way um, as a thank you for for making these episodes for free, um, you can always become a longer term um, supporter and become a patron um, through the Patreon. That's always in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash live your fuck yes life. Um, or if you are more um, of wanting to just do like a one-time thing, you can go to any of the links in my bios, whether you're on Instagram or TikTok. Um, and there's a, you know, buy me a coffee um, new app that I've been using, um, which is a super fun way to just support artists, creators, and all that fun stuff. So that will also um, 
that also goes a long way. Really, truly, all of it um, means the world to me, and no matter how you can support. Um, and yeah, I appreciate you so fucking hard. And that's it. And until next time, my loves, I will see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.